Hey, Ryan, how do I get project-based learning started at my school? I've gotten some form of this question nearly every day for the last decade from engaged educators just like you. So at Magnify Learning, we've created a free download to get you started. Whether you're a superintendent, principal, coach, or teacher, go to whatispbl.com to get started on your project-based learning journey today. Magnify Learning brings project-based learning workshops to schools across the country because we believe every child deserves to be a part of an inspiring story. Whether you're a superintendent, principal, coach, or teacher, the PBL Playbook Podcast will equip you with the stories, resources, and trainings you need to bring project-based learning to your school. If you want me to answer your PBL question on the podcast, visit whatispbl.com and click on Ask Ryan to submit your question. You are really going to enjoy this interview today uh, with First Makerspace. So First Makerspace is a group that can design, build, and sustain a makerspace in your school or classroom. We get to talk with Mary Reinhardt, who's the president and CEO of First Makerspace. Principals, we're going to talk about how you plan a makerspace, how you fund a makerspace. Teachers, we're going to talk about how you can create standards-based PBL units that lead into a makerspace and how they connect. Because makerspaces and project-based learning have a really close connection. In project-based learning, we are looking to get our learners to move from a passive traditional teaching environment to one that empowers them through student voice and choice, through the authenticity of the work, through real-world project-based learning units that get them out doing the work of professionals. So once you add a makerspace to that, now we're hands-on, minds-on. We can use a CNC machine to create a logo. We can create a prototype. We can be 3D printing things. So these makerspaces add a whole new element. So I think you're going to love hearing the student stories, the success stories, and the how-to of makerspaces as we talk with Mary Reinhardt. Really excited for this conversation, and I think you all are going to love it. Mary, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. So excited to, to dive in. Yeah, absolutely. As an audience, you said that you wanted us to introduce you to other great people in the field. So, man, we love what Magnify Learning is doing. We want to be hands-on, minds-on. Who else is out there doing great things? So, we brought Mary in. Mary's the CEO and president of First Makerspace. First Makerspace is a group that does, I just say everything, the whole package. They design, they build, they sustain makerspaces, and they can do it at a small level or, or a grand level. So, whatever your vision is, they can fulfill that. But Mary, as she's on, I want you to know a little bit of her experience. Uh, she's been at all levels of STEM. So she's been in the classroom as a family and consumer science teacher teaching STEM. She's she's managed STEM certification at a state level, which is a really neat perspective. And she's currently on several executive boards of nonprofits that are also bringing STEM to the learners. So as you hear Mary's responses and kind of the work that First Makerspace is doing, there's a lot of boots on the ground, which we love, boots on the ground experience coming to this. So, you know, we like to start with the why. Mary did as well. She mentioned that in some notes as we went back and forth. So, Mary, why would a teacher or administrator be interested in starting a makerspace at their school? Such a great question. I think, you know, makerspaces are magical places, Um, especially when we think of the holidays and the magical time. I always think of makerspaces as those magical places. It's really where hands-on learning helps bridge the gap between theoretical and practical knowledge. And One of the examples I always use is I ask someone, have you ever made anything? So I'm going to ask you, Ryan, have you ever made anything that you really, that was really memorable during your K-12 experience? Oh, Mary, this is such a good question. And like, you're going to nail some geekiness for me. 
I literally still have uh, like a TV stand slash bookshelf that I made in eighth grade shop class that has somehow still made it like into like our family's repertoire of furniture. So yeah, I do. Like I made it, it was kind of the first thing that I made and like sanded well and it has made it through what three or four different moves, but like now my kids use it. So yes, that there's definitely that connection to it. Oh, I love that. I, it's so powerful. I mean, what else do you remember from eighth grade? <laughs> you know, that's, exactly. So good. I always kind of come back to that. I remember making something in shop class as well. In seventh grade, it was just this little fountain pen holder and my 93 year old grandmother still has it. It was a gift to her at the time when I was younger and just that experience that that remembering that all of the things that you learned when you did that project are so powerful. And that's what making is really all about. It's about bringing joy back to learning, but also allowing students to apply that academic content in a makerspace. And so that's really where it, it brings value to learning in school together. That's so good. And I love that you brought in the academic standards because that's a question we always get. And a question that should be asked, right? Like, yes, our learners are doing real world authentic work. How are we addressing the standards in there, right? And what, what we often say, and I'm, I'm sure you're, I know you're in the same boat, is that as we build these authentic opportunities for kids to create, they're really, we're not covering standards, we're engaging the standards, right? So they're mixed into all of this work and they're really a big part of the foundation of that. Absolutely. Mary, can you tell us or give us a couple examples of a makerspace implementation that you just saw that has really gone well and maybe an elementary example and a secondary example because our audience kind of spans all of K-12. Absolutely. I was first captivated by makerspaces when I was at the Indiana Department of Education doing my STEM certification work. And I saw and had the opportunity to tour a few schools that had makerspaces and were really engaged with these long-term projects that were both exciting and everyone was engaged in the school building. And it just created a buzz about the school that was really powerful. The example that comes to mind in elementary is Indian Creek Elementary. Um, they, I got to visit their school when they had just received their STEM certification as a model school in Indiana. And they had a small makerspace that um, at the time, but the the great thing about it was that teachers across the building were using it and they were doing not just, you know, technology or 3D printing, but they were, you know, doing some computer science. They were um, working with paper and cardboard and doing everything that they were doing in the classroom. They got to apply in the makerspace. And that was just so powerful to see how they adapted that to not only their learning, but their school culture as well. Their motto is everyday Indian Creek students read, write, listen, speak, and make every day. Ah, that's great. And that is something that really, uh, you know, permeates the whole school building and is, they, we've only, we've expanded their makerspace at first makerspace, which was a fun project for me um, to see that makerspace grow and allow them to continue their journey. So that's a one elementary example uh, the secondary example that I, I'll share is from Mount Vernon High School. I got to tour that space the first time or when I started at First Makerspace several years ago. And what I love about that space is it's next to the Project Lead the Way classroom, and but every teacher uses the makerspace. So it's not just the 
you know, engineering teacher or the manufacturing teacher. It's the family and consumer sciences teacher. The math teachers are in that space. And they just have a really great system of promoting entrepreneurship as well as academic content through the through the actual physical makerspace that has allowed them to really grow their STEM program and project-based learning experiences. Yeah, I love hearing that you've got more than one subject area, one teacher, one classroom that's using these makerspaces, right? So they're getting a lot of use. Is that becoming a popular way to use makerspaces where it's a place where you know, any teacher can kind of go engage that. And so it's not just, you know, in the down the back corridor where shop is at, right? But, you know, an English teacher can go use that space too. Is that a common way that people are using these now? Absolutely. There's really two big models that I've seen. In elementary, sometimes there will be a, a specialist, a STEM special teacher or a maker manager that manages a maker space and students visit it on a regular schedule, like a special. In the secondary level, it has been more common for it to be more of a drop-in space for every teacher to use. And each school has their own way that they adapt that and make it theirs. At Indian Creek, they all the teachers drop into the space, same with Mount Vernon. Um, but there are several schools that I can think of that run it as a special that are a lot earlier in their project-based learning and making journey. And it makes sense for them to do it with that structure so that they apply their human capital appropriately because not every teacher is going to be able to manage a lab space, a maker space. And so creating that as a special area and, and giving still, by still giving that students that experience is a great way to structure the maker space within the school building. Yeah. I love that you're customizing this to each school. That's one at Magnify Learning. That's one of our core values. We customize every agenda to the initiative and vision of each school because then you get the buy-in of staff and, and school leaders because it's fitting into what they're already doing. Uh, so I love that portion. Yes. I love these examples. I know our listeners are loving these examples, but as a principal or a superintendent listening to this, it says, this sounds great, but it sounds big. Like, How do you get started with the planning, the funding? Where do you start in this process? That's such a great question. It's so essential to build a maker culture more than it is a, a physical makerspace. I think I would start by by sharing that. It starts early on, and I would advise any school interested in starting a makerspace to really start small and bring in more hands-on learning through a coordinated approach. I think what you guys do at Magnify Learning is a, a fantastic way to start because they're already students are already engaged in hands-on projects and and really starting to think through you know, how it's applicable to the real world. And, and that's really where you start. First Makerspace can help with the planning and the design of the Makerspace and help recommend products that would be a good fit for where you are as a school. Um, and that kind of ties into the funding. Um, there is funding available from so many sources right now. It's a really great time to take on this initiative from that perspective. Schools can use ESSER funds from the American Rescue Act. They can use EANS if they're in Indiana, Title IV. There's just so many funding streams available and private foundations and grants often are also an option, especially if you have a really great 3D model or a plan to start with. A lot of donors are willing to invest in this kind of learning for students and we are able to help with any grant writing needs too. If you're looking to get started but don't know where to start, that would be so that's where we uh, we where we can provide a lot of hands-on assistance. So that's something we can do as well. Wow, that's that's a 
great offer, Mary. Like, because I don't speak grantees, right? Like, it, it is an art <laughs> to be able to, you know, write those grants uh, to bring those dollars in. I also heard you say a 3D modeling of what it could look like. Um, is that something that you do for schools? What, is, what does that look like? And how does that work when you're, you know, maybe presenting to possible funders? Absolutely. So every design that we do is custom. Um, so I love that that's something that Magnify Learning is, holds as a value as well. So when we are, you know, go into a space and a school is interested in creating a physical makerspace, which usually looks like a standalone room, usually we'll take an old computer lab or a room that's an abandoned classroom, somewhere where there's some physical empty space and actually measure it, take pictures, talk through the equipment you already have the stuff you already have, the projects you are that students are already on board with across different grade levels. And we'll make a plan that involves a 3D model. Um, it, you can physically see what the space would look like, and we will work with you to design, to continue that design. So um, we'll present something that we think is a great starting point, and we'll take any of your ideas that you have from there as, as a principal or whoever's managing the project at the local level and, and make it fit your needs. Um, and that's something we do for free for schools. And so that doesn't cost anything to get started. Um, but it's a really valuable tool because you can put that 3D model and those images in a grant proposal. And it's a lot more powerful to see it as a, as a potential donor. Uh, we have a lot of examples of finished spaces as well as some 3D models that we've done on our website under our portfolio page as well. Awesome. We'll make sure we put the portfolio page in the show notes. So people can see those and start to dream a little bit. Because I know some of our audience, we're a very diverse audience. Some of our audience, you know, a principal uh, who's been doing PBL for a while can can see this and say, man, I know this is exactly what my teachers would want. Like you give somebody a CNC machine and amazing things are going to happen. We also have some principals that might be just starting out and saying, well, what's STEM look like? What's project-based learning? And teachers in the same boat. Some are say, well... I want to learn about project-based learning. So let's go check out this podcast, right? So it's a great way to learn. So for those that maybe don't see the direct connection, can you connect project-based learning and maker spaces for us? Like how do those work together and why is it such a great fit? Absolutely. I think PBL is, is hands-on when you boil it down and a makerspace really enhances the investment of a school in project-based learning by providing that place for hands-on learning to happen. Um, it obviously doesn't need a makerspace. You don't need a makerspace to do project-based learning, but it enhances everything that you're doing, including that collaboration and design thinking. And maker education really engages students by challenging them to create their own solution with physical products. So with cardboard, they physically have to make something most of the time, including di and digital making also has a lot of value. And so they have to really create their own solutions instead of relying on what's already been done. And that's really where it overlaps with project-based learning. Thank you. I love that because makerspaces can make some of these things come alive, right? Project-based learning can be kind of the instructional model that gives you some rails to plan from. Uh, so they work together so well. And I think you said that very well. Like you don't have to have a makerspace to do project-based learning, but I know we've got some people listening right now that have are steeped in project-based learning. They're like, wow, again, if you give me a 3D printer or you know a CNC machine, we can make some amazing things. Would you uh, expand on that a little bit, Mary, for some of us that don't know, you know what's in a makerspace? Like what, if I'm starting small, where can I start? You know, if I'm going big and I've got this 3D planned piece that 
that you're going to do for free? I didn't even know that one. Um, what are some things that actually go into these spaces? So one of the first pieces that we look at is equipment. You know, what type of equipment would build on the projects that you're doing or would you need to continue to expand those projects? So that includes laser cutters, 3D printers, CNC machines, like you mentioned, 3D scanners. All of this equipment is used in industry, but there are educational versions available that make a lot of sense to use in the classroom and that are safe and really allow you to extend the learning that's happening. And so I usually start with equipment. And then there's furniture as well. So we have our own line of furniture at First Makerspace because we noticed that there wasn't a lot of great furniture on the market that was designed for a makerspace. And that goes all the way from the tables to the storage carts that we have, just a huge variety. And um, so those we, we design a space for active collaboration. So that includes furniture. It includes soft seating sometimes whiteboards, uh, whiteboard tables sometimes, equipment, and then there's STEM kits and the the physical stuff that you need. Um, That includes all kinds of different options. There's so many different great products out there, and we really help clients navigate that scene. EdTech is a vast field, and you can waste a lot of money on products that aren't going to get you very far if you have no experience in that area. We live and breathe the vendor relationships and test the products. I have a 3D printer in, in back of me right now. Um, and so we, we have that option to test it and do that all with an academic focus um, as well, which is one of the, the powerful pieces. I will say, too, that it doesn't have to be just one space. I, some schools that we've worked with have expanded it to multiple spaces to really bring learning to life throughout the building. So they may have a physical makerspace, but they may also have a design thinking lab or space. They may put some maker furniture and some STEM kits in the library as well. And so there's multiple ways that you can incorporate making throughout your school building. Um, And that's really what we help clients do. That's exactly where I want you to go with that question. Because if you said, hey, here's this empty classroom, Ryan, and we want to redo this, put in whatever you want. I'd be like a deer in the headlights, right? I, I, I just don't know, right? I'd, circular saws? Like, no, Ryan, you can't do circular saws, right? So, <laughs> you know, but then you give me a catalog that's three inches thick. And I'm, I'm just as lost, right? Like, what yeah, is, yeah. what do we really need? So, I love that you can that you can customize those things. And you've heard me say love over and over again. And it, it's because the maker spaces do match so well with project-based learning. I've been in some of uh, first maker spaces implementations, and just all the details that you can see uh, your learners have available to them. And they can create anything, like a prototype, whether it's 3D printed, out of cardboard, more on the technical computer side of computer science or programming. But what I would say I'd love, and Mary, I'm going to ask you for a student story here in just a second, is when I go into a makerspace, you know, just like many of you, you should go on a school visit to see if project-based learning is good for you. So when we started looking at makerspaces, I wanted to go in a space with learners in it to see, does it really, really connect? And you can tell really quick when you talk to learners. And so I, I was, I was talking to some learners and, uh, you know, if you've done this enough, you can generally find those learners pretty quick that aren't always successful on the academic traditional side of things. And I saw them blossom in a makerspace in a way that you know, you just don't see otherwise, like learners that had some amazing stories of what they used to be doing in a traditional classroom and what they're doing now in a makerspace. 
but then bled back over into their traditional classes, right? It's like, so I'm no longer failing because then I get to be, you know, an expert in this makerspace and I can help people problem solve. Like they were the tech people and then that bled back over in their traditional classes and they were actually doing better in their traditional classes because they were more engaged. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it was not an isolated incident. So Mary, could you give us, you know, one of those stories that is top of mind for you? One story that comes to mind is my own son. You know, he has ADHD and initially struggled in school to be, be just be an engaged learner. Um, I know he is intelligent, you know, I'm his mom, but I saw the makerspace. They had a makerspace at his school and he was just so engaged. But beyond my own children, I, I'll share a story of a student that the, the principal actually reported this to me. And then I had the opportunity to meet this student. I'll call him Jaden. Um, and this student was just really struggling with behavior. Um, this was during COVID. And so we see a lot of students now. I think a lot of your listeners will share empathy with this that are just struggling with their social emotional skills to collaborate and work with others. And this particular student um, was probably a few grade levels behind in reading and, and English, ELA. And so he was just really struggling to stay engaged. He didn't want to do worksheets and, and would not do them, um, would not complete assignments. Um, but his teacher then had a challenge in the makerspace where they made a car out of cardboard um, and got to use the laser cutter and 3D modeled it using Tinkercad. And this student, if you didn't know anything about him, he would have thought that he was the top of the class at that point. He was leading others. He not only created a great car, but did another version, prototyped a version, did it again, made improvements. And then he started helping others. And it had that same snowball effect that you mentioned, Ryan, where it bled back into the classroom. He started to see the why behind why he needed to learn how to measure and add and subtract because he, he wanted to do the make. He wanted to cut things out on a laser cutter and he needed to know inches and centimeters and all of those pieces in order to do what he wanted to do. It got his buy in. And I think when it comes to social, emotional learning and engagement, that is such an important element. It's important to teach students how to, you know, those SEL skills. And I think that you can do that in a makerspace by giving students options, voice and choice, and have them be bought into what they're learning through making something. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. We also love student stories here at Magnify Learning. So uh, we definitely want to capture those. So Mary, I know we've got teachers that are in our audience that are saying, yes, this sounds great. I love the idea. I want my learners to be hands-on, minds-on, but the standards, right? I know you get this question. I get this question all the time, but the standards. So when we look at this, how are the standards working their way into a makerspace? How can you help teachers see that their standards are are integrated or engaging throughout this makerspace? How, How do you have that conversation? Oh, standards are so essential. And when I was at the Indiana Department of Education, I had the opportunity to write several courses, work on standards really closely. And so they're near and dear to my heart in terms of, you know, aligning content between schools. And I I would share that makerspaces are so much more than just fun. You know, we have aligned making with over 100 lessons with through our curricula, um, all aligned to Indiana academic standards, as well as the employability skills standards. And every lesson that we've written, the one part that I love about it is that it's cross-curricular. So it's really hard in a makerspace to actually just teach one content area. You have to 
physically try to exclude other content areas most of the time. So it, it, it has everything from math and science. A lot of maker lessons engage in science and math, but also English and just a ver- social studies, a variety of other areas as well. It allows teachers to reteach and emphasize concepts, concepts that are really foundational to standards so students can move on in their educational journey and continue to remember the most essential pieces that they need to be able to move forward. So as you give that explanation to teachers, as you have that conversation, because we, we say in our language, as we're creating project-based learning units, you know, we start with the standards and then we build from there. So that kind of gives us some, some ease as educators to say, yes, my standards are in there. I'm engaging them. I know what they are. As you, as you just kind of give, that was your explanation of standards. How do your teachers feel after that? How do they receive that? Is there still some pushback or does that start to make sense? I think there's so much relief in that we have a curriculum that is already aligned to academic standards. It's an, and we base it on standards as well. We start with the standard and try to think what type of activities that can we do to reteach this concept um, and really dive in here. A makerspace can be sometimes a little overwhelming in, in the academic preparation. And just because of the thought that has to go into creating lessons, this is a new area that that educators are exploring. And I see a lot of teachers writing their own lessons in this area, which is a lot of fun to do, but we have a curriculum that is easy to get started with. It has lessons for every content area, elementary, middle school, and high school that really gets you started with any of the STEM equipment or different kits that you are interested in using. Um, And really it, it allows you to focus on the teaching and the human connection part rather than all of the planning. And so I think there's a lot of relief that we've worked with, that we've seen from educators that have worked with us and that they don't have to invent everything themselves. They can partner with someone who does this all day, every day to really be able to focus on their students and their student needs. Relief would be a good one, right? So <laughs> I, I know their audience is thinking, yes, I would take some relief. Yes. So we'll make sure that that curriculum link gets in the show notes as well. So any of our listeners can can jump on that and take a look. Excellent. Another piece that I think is super positive for makerspaces is this idea that there are professionals outside of school that are doing this work right now. Uh, so how do makerspaces, whether it's in a rural setting, a suburban setting, or an urban setting, how does makerspaces help us connect careers with our learners? This is such a good question because employers want problem solvers. You know, when I, in my previous experience, I had an opportunity to talk to a lot of different employers on in roundtables and different committees. Um, they're heavily involved in the standards writing at the at, in Indiana as well. Um, and I can tell you, they don't care about content. <laughs> they will teach you what you need to know if it, it's content based on the job. But they need people who can solve problems, who can think quickly. Um, and who can collaborate and, and work with others. And that is common across all settings, rural, urban, and suburban. Um, but particularly in rural areas, I think we find students that do have a little bit more hands-on engagement, and there are a lot of hands-on type of careers in rural settings, whether you're thinking in, in Indiana, a lot of farms, but also a lot of manufacturing opportunities Um, And those bleed into suburban and urban settings as well. There's so many options, hands-on, minds-on type of careers, both college careers and careers that need more of a technical education certificate. 
And you can connect just about any maker lesson to a STEM career. In fact, that's one of the connections we make in our curriculum to help guide teachers to expose students to different STEM careers throughout their making journey. Yeah, that that exposure to STEM careers is is so vital. Right? I'm in several different you know STEM boards and those types of things. And one of the research pieces we lean on is that when our learners are exposed to different STEM careers, they can see themselves in that career now. A lot of I think it needs to maybe go past the article or even the video to the person that's there. Right when Ryan comes in and he's an engineer and he's just a normal person, then a Jaden can say, "Oh." Well, I could be an engineer, right? Ryan's just a normal person. And we get to introduce, you know, our learners and expand their network and their horizons as we introduce them to careers. And I think making project-based learning allows us to do those things because we're bringing in these professionals that are connected to this work. They're doing this work on a daily basis. Absolutely. And I have a quick story I want to share about yes. that in particular. There's a, a school that I've worked with in, in Daleville, Indiana, Daleville High School, that did just that. They had employees from Magna Transmission, which is a global company, come in to the makerspace. They really used the makerspace as a platform to engage with Magna and create a partnership that is thriving. Um, They had tried to partner with Magna in the past and just weren't speaking the same language. I think often educators and um, folks in industry are talking two different languages sometimes about how to engage with students. And the makerspace gave them a platform to connect. They had equipment, they needed help with that equipment and really additional industry expertise. They wanted to know how it was being used in industry. And they were able to partner with Magna to do just that, to show students how it really matters and how they could go get an internship you know, while they were in high school. Um, or do some type of work-based learning experience, um, and then go get a real job. And so that was just such a real valuable connection for them. It was valuable for Daleville, but I think it was also valuable for the employer in this case to really see what the needs of the local community were and connect in a really meaningful way with both educators and students. Awesome. I love that community partner example too. That's what brings authenticity to our learners. Well, Mary, thank you so much for being with us today on the podcast. Uh, we got to hear a lot more about makerspaces in general, uh, as well as first makerspace and and how those makerspaces can connect to project-based learning. I love that you gave us some concrete examples of what our teachers can do right away, like start small, get some, some cardboard pieces in the back of the room, get some pieces where you can start to build some things. And uh, again, I'll definitely make sure that we have your portfolio of makerspaces in the show notes. Because if, if you're anything like me, like I love the direction you're taking us because you've given us the why, right? Whether it's Jaden or community partners, I, I love that. So now it's like, well, what's the how and the what? And for me, I need to see it. Right? So if I can see these different examples of makerspaces, I can, you know, I would, you know, steal some of this and take some of that. Uh, before we give you a chance to say, hey, where can we connect? Where would you suggest that teachers do start? Do you have you know, just a couple of next steps that they could take after hearing this podcast? Absolutely. So on our website, we have that full portfolio. You can see, I think there's eight examples of different spaces um, and really tells their story as well. So that's one way to just see it online. Um, but outside of that, we'd be happy depending on where where your listeners are located to direct them to a local makerspace that is doing it well. 
Um, I think it's great, like you said, to, to see learners in action if you're actively considering this. And we will usually take clients on a, a mini tour um, to see a space that's similar to what they're trying to build. So they can kind of talk to the principal that's involved, talk to teachers and students and see what their experience has been and take some of the pieces that they really like and apply it to their situation. So I think doing a tour is a great idea. We have some um, digital assets on our website where you can see what different schools have done in terms of physical space planning as well. Yeah, great. I love that. Thank you so much, Mary, for being with us. How can our audience best connect with you? What's the best way for them to reach out? Our website, firstmakerspace.com. That's one great way to connect with us. It has a contact form on that page. Uh, My email is mary at firstmakerspace.com. And we have an active, thriving social media as well. You can find us at First Makerspace on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and LinkedIn. So we'd love to connect um, with you to, to see how we can help you further your maker education journey. Awesome. Thank you, Mary. Hopefully our audience has seen the connection now between makerspaces and project-based learning and helping us fulfill our core belief that we believe every child can be a part of an inspiring story. Thank you so much for your time, Mary. All right. Thanks for having me. That was awesome. Project-based learning and makerspaces go together like apple pie and vanilla ice cream. It is a magical combination. So check out the show notes. We're going to have a ton of resources in there. If you want to get in touch with First Makerspace, get a hold of some of their free resources, follow them on social media. We're going to have the same pieces for Magnify Learning. So you can get a project planning sheet so that you can start planning a PBL unit and then roll that right into a makerspace. Again, apple pie and vanilla ice cream. Next week, we're going to be talking leadership. So make sure to tune in and invite your principals. The first and third Wednesdays of the PBL Playbook podcast are going to be about equipping leaders to lead from a place of vision and strength, not overwhelm and urgency. So I'll talk to you next week. Go out and engage your learners, tackle boredom, and transform your classroom.